Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Our young Stephen Bourne, who <clears throat> has lost his identity, and uh, we're talking about finding our identity. And just as he is going to discover who he is, where he's come from, who God has created him to be, I think that's what we need to do too. And so we're in week two. Last week we started this uh, sermon series called Born Identity. Born Identity. And so today we're going to talk about what God and what we can do as believers. And do we need, are we really confident in knowing what God has done for us and enabling us and giving us an identity that... <clears throat> gives us an incredible impact, and, uh, and that we're not powerless, just like Stephen is. He feels very powerless, and that's the way most Christians live their lives, kind of a sense of cluelessness as to who they are and what they could be with just holding on to maybe a string of hope of heaven. But let's look at John chapter 12, verse 14, and this is Jesus speaking, and he says, I tell you the truth, and I love the, when, the way he's, he begins that way. In other words, he's saying, look, I know you doubt me. But I'm getting, what I'm getting ready to tell you, which is kind of ironic because he is truth. But he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, anyone who believes in him, will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. So Jesus shares with his disciples, he says, now, and, and this is, of course, towards the end, they're seeing Amazing miracles take place. They're seeing world-changing miracles, many of which are documented in the, in the four Gospels. We get a chance to read them. We get to see them, experience them, in, in a sense, uh, as we read about them. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, he says, look, if you believe in me, not only are you going to do what I've been doing, all of those wonderful miracles, but even greater things. And that just kind of boggles the mind, doesn't it? See, Jesus did those amazing things while he was out there, again, doing ministry, healing the sick, performing miracles, and casting out demons. We can read about all that. He tells his disciples that they would do the very same things. And again, this is hard to imagine except that his prophecy, as we know, did come to pass. The early church did, and the modern church still continues to experience very, very powerful miracles. You can read in the book of Acts as written by Luke, and it records the expansion of the church through signs and wonders, just as Jesus had predicted. And some of the miracles are mentioned in passing, and others are detailed through the, uh, the lives of, of Peter and Paul. So we know that Jesus was right on the money to say that this is what you're going to do. You're not only going to do this, but you're going to do it even more. But the question kind of remains, why did the church begin to kind of lose its identity, its steam. Because that, that's the question I'm begging here, and that is what I'm trying to address as a pastor and as really speaking to us as a congregation, but really speaking to Christianity at, at large, and that is to say, what has happened to us? We're kind of like Stephen. We're kind of dazed. We've been attacked. We've been left in the field for dead. And we're trying to figure out who we are as a church. Well, there's three things that I see, and many more, of course, but number one is that we've lost the big picture. 
Okay? We've lost the big picture. See, times change. We know that the, history has, uh, the church history has covered uh, almost 2,000 years. And during that time, the church has grown. It's gone through many different changes of, of culture, and it's gone through times of really reformation and a rediscovery of who the church has been called to be. We know that initially the church had it, even though they were struggling. They, they got a good idea, and the church spread throughout the known world. But then, of course, the church went through a, a times of darkness and stumbling, But I think ultimately what it comes down to is that when we lose the big picture, then we're going to lose our identity. Because our identity is so intricately attached to that big picture, big time. And as a result, I think that the church is slow to embrace change. We're slow to embrace it. Even as we're singing that song and they're back there, you know, doing a little Euro beat we got going on there. I mean, I just kept on thinking, I bet this is really causing some folks, to be a little uncomfortable. And, and it's funny how music can do that. And we all have, you know, experiences. We all have, you know, have attach what we would consider a religious experience with memory and experiences of our past. But the truth is, we're not supposed to be stopped there. We're not supposed to get, into, say, get caught in this place of this is all about me. And Christianity could become very narcissistic because we can really begin to forget who, what we're here for and what we're called to do. See, the disciples, they were definitely in a place where they could have easily fallen into that if Jesus had not told them exactly what they needed to do. So there they were. They could have easily just said, well, Jesus is dead. We just need to hang out in Jerusalem. We just need to stay here. And we don't know really what else to do but just to kind of keep doing what he was doing. But Jesus said, he said, look, He said, I've got something special coming, and I'm going to empower you to do something very special. He said, go tell everyone else about what you've seen here and spread the news far and wide. That is our mandate as well. When we're able to tap into that, then we're able to see the tools really start to to break out. We begin to see when we, when we tap into who we are called to be, then we'll see that God has given us all that we need to carry it out. But we lose the big picture. That's one of the reasons why we lose our identity. That's why we're kind of wandering down the road of life, trying to figure out, how did I get here, and what am I doing? Number two, the second reason why I think we've lost our identity is that we listen to lies. Because there, there are more than just a, you know, one or two voices that are trying to tell us who we should be. Matter of fact, you got on one side maybe an argument of saying, well, really, really, there's nothing. That there is real no meaning. We're all just one big mistake or one big, you know, uh, you know, shot in the dark and that there's no real purpose or meaning. Therefore, just eat and drink and live, you know, and die. And then you've got others who try to complicate it with many other different kinds of missions or to just really amplify and to say, well, if that is true, then, then we must be God. We've got a concept of God. Then if we've got this concept of God, then man must be it. And so these are lies that, of course, we know it is, is out there in the world, but can begin to permeate and invade the church a little bit at a time. It might not be that Christians subscribe to that kind of thinking, 
but they definitely are confused and don't move forward anymore. I find this probably the most because it's like we get to this place where we are, have been so assaulted with lies that we don't really know what to do anymore. We, we, we're kind of trapped. We know there's more. We suspect there's more. We've heard there's more, but we really don't have the confidence to do it because of those lies that we're hearing, things that are contrary to the Word of God. Romans chapter 12 talks all about how we can understand the will of God, the very good, perfect will of God for our lives. And he says, look, let me, let me back up there to verse one. He says, look, this is how you get it. Let me tell you how you get it. And that is to completely give your life to God as a living sacrifice. But the lies keep coming. They're not promises of scripture. And those who doubt get bolder during those different seasons and actually become a hindrance to the church. Thirdly, another, another reason, the third reason why I think we're losing our identity is that we lose hope during the dark times. When things are going well, the church tends to do well, but during times when there's darkness, we can begin to lose hope. We begin to grab onto, again, to counterfeits, and it's not hard to do. And so, like our character in the story, when you're overwhelmed with a sense of lostness, when you don't, when you're confused, you really don't want to know what to do. You kind of just sit outside the potential for help until help comes to get you. And so, here we are as a church, kind of stunned, trying to figure out who we are. But you know what? We're Christians, and we've got a huge call. We've got an identity now. We need to go to Scripture and find out what it is. And we need to begin to inculcate the truth of God into our thinking once again. Because once we be begin to discover a little bit more in our, as our story goes on here, the more he discovers who he is, the more he's going to grow in confidence. The more he's going to grow in who he's called to be. So what can Christians do to com combat this attack of the enemy. Of course, you've seen glimpses in our story of the enemy back there, haven't you? Last week, you saw the car kind of waiting, and you're going to hear more of the story as it goes on. But in the same way, the enemy is crouching at our door. He does not want Christians to discover this one truth, who you're called to be. When we as Christians discover and fully come into and understand and operate in what God has called us to be and to do, Woo! There's going to be some serious stuff beginning to take place in changing the world, even as Jesus did. Because I want to back up before I move forward, because I want, I want to make sure I get you to this place. <laughs> I want to get you raw before I build back on you. And that is, you know, if you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering, have I ever done greater things than Jesus? Mm. It's a good question, isn't it? Because Jesus said, look, greater works will you do because I'm going unto the Father. Well, as far as I can tell, he's gone unto the Father. We know that he's done that. And now he's saying, look, there's going to be greater works. So we need to ask us, are we doing them? I mean, so let's not even talk about the greater works. Are we doing what Jesus did? That's a big question, isn't it? No, not to condemn us, but to really create in us a desire to want to find out who are we? 
What have we been called to do? What can we do? Well, let's get into that. Number one, this is how we can discover it. This is, this is what he has done for us. Number one, he's given us the Holy Spirit. And we receive the Holy Spirit by being filled with him. If you look at Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it says, he said to them, now Jesus has, has ministered, he's, he's, already, he's already been raised from the dead, and now he's spending time with them, his last days in person in his resurrected state, and he's talking to them, and you find that the conversation is talking more about the future, and he's trying to encourage, he's restoring them, but then he gets on, and he says, now look guys, I'm getting ready to go. And he says, now don't leave Jerusalem because I've got a gift that's coming and this gift is very, very important to what you are going to do, to your identity. And this is what he said. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. I love this because they ask him, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom of God? Are you going to restore Israel like we have interpreted the Old Testament. We think Israel is going to come back and there's going to be a heavenly kingdom and, it's, and, it's, and Rome is going to be destroyed and, and so on and so forth. And he just swats that away. It just says, guys, look, don't get caught up in the book of Revelation. Don't get caught up in last day's prophecy. Don't get caught up in all of that. That's my daddy's job and he's the one that knows it's going to happen and when it's going to happen. I recommend you don't focus on that. That's good advice. That's real good advice. Now, I love prophecy of end times things, and I love talking about that, and I love looking into that, but you know what I found is that when you do that, we end up just talking about the end, and we, ne- we don't get doing what we're called to do. We just all get on top of a mountaintop waiting for him to come. And he said, that's not what I want to see you doing when I come. I want to see you in the field. I want my coming to be a surprise to you. Oh, he's here. Cool. We just drop our hose in the field and off we go. But he, but he finds us working in the kingdom. Okay, he says, so don't worry about that. So he, then he moves on to what he was really wanting to tell him. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now let's break this down so that we really get what Jesus is saying. Very critical. Very important to us understanding our identity. He says, look, I'm going to empower you. Those greater works, I I mean, I'm just going to fill in the blank here. You know those greater works I was telling you you were going to do? This is how you're going to do it. He says, I did these things because I went out into the, of course, he's the son of God, but he went out and he fasted and prayed for 40 days. And it says the Holy Spirit came down upon him and immediately he began to move in his ministry. And then miracles started to flow. Holy Spirit came down, the Father spoke, we see the Trinity, and thus begins the powerful works of God on earth. And Jesus turns right around to him, he grabs 12 guys, and he says, look, let me teach you how to do this. And he says, now look, you're going to do this. And every other Christian is, going, is called to do this, has the ability to do this, has the, the mandate of heaven, Okay? Later, I'm going to break down the difference between power and authority, dunamis and exosia, how both are so very important for Christians. But when you receive dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive that. And then he says why you're going to receive it. 
And this is probably the most important part of the whole scripture because, you know, power is power. And a lot of people want power these days. And they try to get it in all the different ways they get it. But he says, look, you're going to get this power, and this is why, so that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in your hometown, in Judea, in Samaria, your region, state of North Carolina, southeast, southeastern United States, and to all the ends of the earth. He said, that's why I'm giving you this power. So you're given a car, and you don't know how to drive a car. You're not going anywhere, are you? Well, I mean, you might, and you end up in the uh, world's dumbest, uh, you know, driving videos or something. Because, see, when you don't know how to drive, you can't go anywhere. But when you have the power of the Holy Spirit, and you know why, and you know how to use it, and you know it, it, in the context it is supposed to be used, then now you're really taken off. But I find that Christians do one or two things. Either they're just like completely clueless as to the power they could have and therefore just kind of stumble along. Or they discover what it is and they know it, it exists, but they still don't use it because they don't. So, oh, no, no, no. That's just for, you know, those special ones out there. I mean, you see that on, you know, evangelists. Only they do that or, you know, occasionally a really loved, really awesome person can move in the power, you know, signs and wonders and all that. But look, that's not Bible. That's not what it says in the Bible here. Absolutely key. He says, so when the Holy Spirit comes on, you're going to be my witnesses. So another, what will come with that? Of course, confidence to be able to share the message. But then God is going to say, look, and I'm going to give you opportunity to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. You're going to be put into situations where you encounter the works of the enemy and you can rise up and confront that. Which takes us to our next point. So first of all, we, what he's saying is, look, it's, it's key, it's critical to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and to understand that he wants to fill us, that he didn't leave us here clueless, that he didn't leave us here powerless, that he didn't leave us, you know, just to be punching bags for the enemy or to just hold out and be a great example of suffering servants. No, no, he did that part already. He says, look, you're supposed to be here to shine and to advance my kingdom. Will it be hard? Yeah, it will be hard from time to time. But God will certainly show up and do awesome things, greater things. Have to believe that. Or as a Christian, my friend, you are completely missing out on who you are called to be. Secondly, we need to operate in the spiritual gifts because when the Holy Spirit came, Paul began to teach there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 how the Holy Spirit would be manifested in our life. He said, now, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And of course, we know in Acts chapter 2, if you turn there and read it, that the Holy Spirit came down, they began to speak in other tongues and human languages and angelic languages, and everybody watched that, and they were amazed, and they heard the gospel preached in their own language. And a miracle broke out, and, and, and they're just like, what on earth is going on? I mean, these are just simple people. They couldn't know our languages. They don't know where we're from. A miracle, a sign, a wonder took place. And as a result, 3,000 people came to Christ in one day. Boom, the birth of the church, by the way. And so they had to get busy. Okay, what do we do now? Jesus didn't tell us this part. And he says, well, look, you got the Holy Spirit. He's not only going to give you power 
But we find out later, Paul says, look, we've been at this a little while, and we've discovered that, you know what, the power is, is a lot more intricate than we first realized. And he lists out for us how the Spirit of God would be manifest in order for us to be able to continue to do not only what he did, but greater things. Let's see what he said. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. The Holy Spirit comes from him. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So same Holy Spirit. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now that's important for us to see is that God wants to anoint us. God has given us an identity. He wants to empower us, but it's for the common good. When we go out and use it just for ourselves, then you're going to generally find that it's just going to dry up. Now, Simon the sorcerer saw some things taking place, and he watched what was going on, and he said, man, this is awesome. And so he walked up to, to Peter afterward, and he said, look, um, how can you, would you give me the ability to do what you're doing there? And he says, man, uh-uh. I sense inside you that you only want to do this for you, but not for the common good, not for the church, not for the expanding of the kingdom. You're wanting to take on an identity, but bypass the cross. You're trying to bypass the actual message. You just want it to be the church of Simon, not the church of Jesus. And so they rebuked him and told him to go away. Now, there's legends surrounding that as to what happened afterward, but won't get into all that. You can read it on your own. But for the common good... To one, there's given through the, uh, the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge. So he says, to some, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you and you're going to have an incredible wisdom to know what to do. So the Spirit gets poured out. The church starts. And all of a sudden, these guys are still anointed by God. A few rise up and say, you know what? I know what to do. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a real confidence that we should begin to minister to them and we should meet house to house. And look, we should make some deacons to take care because oh, they, they, it was the church's first racial problem. Jews, uh, Roman Jews, Greek Jews, taking care of their, their, their widows and their orphans. And they began to argue and they began to say, hey, they got more than me. Doesn't that just sound like us? And they said, we've got to get some deacons here. And they selected deacons from both sides, which was interesting. And he began to deal with it. And it was the wisdom of God. Came by the Spirit of God. Manifestation. To see it taking place. And he says, then there was a message of, of knowledge by somebody who he didn't really have any intense training, but just having, having a word of knowledge to say, look, I, I don't know where this came from, but I got a message for you. I, I, I just see something about you. And then, so it's a prophetic gift that begins to flow. See, Jesus did that constantly. Remember the woman at the well? He walks up and she says, well, you know, my husband this, my husband that. And she goes, well, you're right in saying that you don't have a husband. No, because actually she said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right in saying that you don't have a husband because the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. Matter of fact, after five, and she's just like, oh, oh. And she runs to the city and says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. That's called a, a word of knowledge, by the way. Spirit of God, moving. Now, we don't just do that so that we can have, 
you know, the first church of David. Wow, come and hear what David says about me. No, 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 we use and operate in those gifts so that when we see a lost person who is really doubting God or is really hurting and you're really open to the Holy Spirit and you say, Holy Spirit, would you use me right now so that I can be a witness, hello, to advance the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, the moment I walk in that identity, then the power begins to flow. See, that's where we miss it, church. We're all wondering, where's the power? Where's the power? Where's the power? I'm gonna tell you where the power is. Get your head right, get focused on what you're called to be and to do, and watch the power flow. You let your heart open to the lost around you, and watch God to begin to move. Watch your identity. Watch that sense. I mean, nothing feels better than being out on the field and knowing you're in the right position. I remember that. You know, when they're dividing kids up, you, as a bunch of young boys walk out on the field, and David, you, you've seen this happen. You're like, okay, hey, you're, you're big, so you should do this. And that's exactly what they did with me. I was like, big David, hey, I'm going to put you on the line. So they stuck me on the line. I was like, hey, you know, I'm just going to do whatever I want. That's why I started to run. They said, whoa, that kid's fast. <laughs> big, fast, put him in the backfield. Find your place based on what? Your gift. And God is the one who determines that for the common good to advance, to change the world, to have success for the kingdom of God. Now, don't be confused on that one point. Message of knowledge. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one spirit. So, now we know about those things, but faith. See, that's a little bit different. That, that, and, and I've known people that have what I would consider a true gift of faith. And when they move in it, it's just like you feel your heart drawn up in it. It's just like, you know that you know that you know. That comes from God, by the way. And there's gifts of healing. And, and I love this, to another gifts. In other places, it just talks about different kinds of gifts of healing. And it's not just for physical body, but emotionally. To be able to counsel somebody and, and reach inside and pull those arrows out. To reach inside those, those, those deep, seated almost psychological wounds that can be healed by the, the, the very hand of God. Different kinds of healing. To another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing between spirits or discerning of spirits in the King James. And that's the ability to, to know, is this a God thing or is this not a God thing? Wouldn't you like to know that sometimes? I mean, don't you think that the ability to distinguish between the spirits would help you when somebody comes knocking on your door and what they're trying to sell? Or the ability to just know when someone really is passionately, maybe another believer or something like that, or, or you know, you're just going on, and if you're just really looking to the Lord to say, look, I can't be distracted as to who I'm called to be, and so I'm asking you, Lord, really give me this discernment, the ability to know, is this you or is this not you? Man, I'm telling you what, folks, that is an awesome gift to have and very critical. Talks about speaking in tongues. I won't get into all of that. Don't get twisted up on tongues as I tell people. It is a gift. It's in the Bible. It talks about the interpretation of those tongues. In other words, if when used in a public setting or in, a, in an instance where there's a miraculous thing taking place, 
then there will be another person given the ability to interpret what was being said or spoken. We know that's what took place in the early church. At least four different occasions, and a fifth one, it was assumed. It didn't just take place in Acts chapter 2. It took place many different times. But he goes on to say, he said, all this is from God by the same Spirit, and he distributes those gifts to each one just as he determines. Now, two things I want to say before I move on with our last point, and that is, there's two things I've discovered about this. Because I think you can get real clunky and just say, well, then I've got the gift. Hey, I got the gift of wisdom. I'm the wise guy. And therefore, I am anointed to be able to do this. Um, That's one manifestation. In other words, you might have a primary gift and be able to move in wisdom because it taps right into who God's created you to be. But what I have found is there's another aspect is that God can use any one of us with a gift of wisdom anytime. Now, that's cool. You mean I can move in any of the gifts as the Spirit directs for any given situation? Great revelation. Good job. You score a 100. Because if you get that, in other words, you walk around and say, God, here I am. Use me for whatever needs to happen. Now you're dangerous. Now you're a weapon in the hand of God. And it doesn't matter what your IQ is. It doesn't matter what your experience or what you even know. I'm telling you. See, that is why Christianity is one of the most dangerous, you know, you know, truths on the planet. And the devil knows that. So like in our story, he wants to beat us up, leave us for dead out in the field, forget who we are, so that we really become no threat to him. Because the truth is this, folks. He can't take your salvation. Can't do it. But he can sure confuse the heck out of you. So that you don't know your left hand from your right. And so that many Christians go through life not really a threat to the enemy because they don't know who they are. Woo! Lord, help us. Finally, one of the ways that we can continue to operate in our identity is to just speak the gospel and watch the Holy Spirit show up. Too many of us think that evangelism should all be left for just the evangelists. Oh, I, don't, you know, I have trouble speaking with people. You know, look, I, you know me. I'm a bit of an introvert. The fact that I'm up here is really a miracle. There is no question. And God likes to do that. God likes to push you out of your comfort zone. And, uh, and so don't use that as an excuse. <laughs> Matter of fact, you tell God, you tell God that, man, you're in trouble. He's going to put you right in the middle of it. And man, do I ever hear that over and over again, people just saying, you know, I never thought I would be doing that. And I just think that's God for the common good because he loves to show that it really isn't all about us. He just needs a willing servant. But you know what's beautiful is that even though the glory is not for us, we can share in it in the way of joy. Because every one of us likes to know we're what? Useful. You're created to be useful, by the way. That's another part of your identity. And when we're not tapping into usefulness, we're not being used by God in the sense of using our gifts, then we kind of dry up on the inside. And, then, and yet we're never going to just stay there. We're going to find our identity, uh-oh, in something else. Yeah, we're going to find our identity in something else because we've got to feel important. We've got to feel useful. And what we're going to do is often we take counterfeits 
But you know what I taught last week is absolutely true, and that is God can use any vocation, any placement, any, any part of who we are in this world and use it for his glory. So I'm, I'm not bypassing that. But it's just like, look, if we get the point that, man, the Holy Spirit can move through me and the gifts can be used and manifest through me as he chooses at any given time, now, man, we're, wow, we're secret weapons being placed anywhere and everywhere in the earth. But the key is we've got to open our mouth, our mouth because he said, look, I am again, and I'm going to hit this again, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We can't miss that part. Most charismatics, Pentecostals, you know, Christians who, are, who, who, get, have, who embrace an aggressive kingdom theology can very easily forget this part. And that is that God wants to empower us to just be about us. And man, I tell you, that really was my tendency as a young man. Man, when I discovered some of the things that I could do and speak, oh my gosh, I got so excited. I was in high school. Man, I was, I was sneaking around, man, and, and, and I was sharing the gospel. I'd be sitting there, and when the, 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 the prof- or not professor, teacher would turn his back and he's writing on the board, I'd look over at the person over there and say, look, man, do you know who Jesus Christ is? Like, what are you talking about? Look, dude, you're going to hell. I mean, I was pretty hardcore on that kind of stuff. But man, I tell you, what, I was jumping up and down on the inside. I was so excited about what God was using for, in, in me and through me. But all of a sudden, I started to get pulled off to see and think it was all about me. And I was diminishing and I was getting confused. And then, thank God, I ended up with a pastor who shared with me and redirected me to help me see the scripture because I wasn't going there naturally myself. And that's another key. You don't tend to go there naturally. We have to be led there. There's not a soul, there's not a one of us in here who, who, who are not affected by a natural tendency to want it to be at all about us. And so we have to constantly remind ourselves, no, 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 not about me, not about me, all about him. One life, to glorify his name and make him known. That's me. That's what I'm called to be and to do. So, but the key for all of this is that to get that born, that born identity, you have to have a born again identity. I mean, you can't have that. All that wonderful identity, all that wonderful purpose, all that wonderful power that comes with the purpose until you're born again. Here's this incredible man, full of knowledge and wisdom and history and, 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 and family name, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus and says, man, it's pretty clear that you know, John chapter uh, 3, he says, pretty clear, man, that you got the, <laughs> and we all know that you're wise, we can see the hand of God upon you, but we, I, you know, so he sneaks out and gets with him alone and says, you know, tell me, what are you really saying in all this? And Jesus says, look, Nicodemus, I mean, he respected him. He treated him like the, the, the father of, the, of the, the Pharisees that he was. He said, but look, none of that means anything, my friend, unless you're born again. Unless, unless you've given your life to Christ. Unless you're completely yielded to the Savior. See, God does bless all humans with tremendous, tremendous gifts, but it's only when we receive the gift of eternal life through our Messiah, Jesus, do we see a, great, a much greater plan? You know, I used to be very critical of 
of people that I would see, actors and musicians, and, and I mean, I would, I would, I mean, because when you get fall, when you get all full of religion, I mean, that's all you see the world through. I'm serious. You get these these, these glasses on, and that's all you see, and you judge, and you trying to be like the world, and you all do that, but you forget that God created them. They're His kids. So be careful what you say about his kids. I mean, we all know what mamas will do when you mess with their kids. How much more a father? So the father really convicted my heart into saying, David, they're my kids. I love them. They're just very, very confused. And that anointing that comes to their love and their, that, that, that all that stuff you see is legitimate. It's just being used for the wrong way. And the enemy gets behind that and drives it much deeper. So we'll finish with that. And ask you that question this morning. Do you know why you are here? Do you know what you can do as a believer? We're going to talk more about that. But the truth is, he said, look, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. You're going to be able to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. He goes on in Mark chapter 16 and says, these signs will follow those that believe. That this is what you're going to see from a person who's gotten it. So I want to take us back to that verse I started with. He said, look, greater works will you do because I'm going to the Father. Not only will you do what I have done, but you're going to do even greater things. And that's so very key in these days. You know, I'm not dangling power and position and identity in front of you to to just try to sell you something. Because that that is a way of the enemy. But the truth is, as your pastor, as, as a coach in the kingdom, my heart is for you to be able to come into and be confident with who you are called to be. And that if you can get a hold of that, then you're going to have a success. You're going to have a confidence. You're going to have a fruitfulness. See, that is my job, by the way, where I have to stand before God one day and give an account for what I have done. And that is that I have communicated to you how you can do this thing at the best of your ability by the grace of God. And so what I'm sharing with you is critical stuff. Critical. So that you can stand before the Lord one day and say, Lord, and I gave it all. I mean, I left it out in the field. And I understand and understood who I was, what I was called to be. And I knew that the Holy Spirit could come and fill me and move through me at any given time. A life completely sacrificed to you. That's where we can be. So let's stand up this morning and let's take a moment because, you know, <laughs> the beauty is we don't, we don't have to do anything that requires any intensity beyond just saying, Lord, here I am. Use me. Just a submission. You know, maybe we have a bit of an analogy there of when the disciples gathered in the upper room and they waited. And I think that is a good thing. Sometimes we need to wait and receive the message from the heart of God what it is we're calling. So here we are. We're waiting upon him. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come. Amen.